everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. Faith will be in a little bit when we do our regular old-fashioned this or that section of the show. But for now, it's just me, and we like to start the show off every single week with the news. And this week, we had a jam-packed full week of news. Let's just start it off with the stuff that got confirmed for us. First of all, Beverly Hills Cop 3 got confirmed for February 20th. 2024 and because it's paramount they're going to be releasing the entire trilogy in this nice three pack it's almost the exact same thing they did with the scream franchise you know we got scream one year we got scream two the next year then we got scream three the following year and then they released a whole trilogy pack and they're doing the same thing with the beverly hills cops when they released them all each individually over three years and then they finally gave us the trilogy set you know I don't really like that they did that, but if you already have Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, you don't have to get the 3-pack. I guess it's cool for people that don't have any of them, but that 3-pack is much, much nicer than the box art, I think, on 1, 2, and 3. So I would have really liked that, but it's understandable. And I'm sure that they're individually packed like the screen box set, which is also pretty cool, so you don't actually lose out on anything. So I'm definitely glad that it's coming. I think Beverly Hills Cop 3 is the worst in the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. I actually think it's almost offensively bad. Now, I haven't seen it in about 15 years, so my taste could have changed, and I'm going to rewatch it when it comes to 4K on February 20th. Also, we got the trailer for the new Beverly Hills Cop film, which I didn't watch yet, mainly because I try not to watch trailers because I like to go into movies as blind as possible, so I kind of avoided it. I'm going to watch it anyway. It's Axel Foley, it's Eddie Murphy, it's Beverly Hills Cop. There's just no way I'm going to skip out on it, no matter what the quality is. I have to see it for myself, so I'm going to watch it. I don't need a trailer to sell me on it. <laughs> so that was the first thing we got confirmed. Another thing we got confirmed for February 13th that we had rumored is Footloose is coming to 4K to celebrate its 40th anniversary as well, and they got a really, really, really nice steelbook. I'm not the biggest Footloose fan, but that steelbook, it's screaming at me. It's got all the colors I like. It pops out at you. It's got that 80s feel to it. And you know what? Maybe I will revisit Footloose in February. I'll review that here on the channel because I really want to get my hands on that steelbook. It is really nice. And now we'll start it off with the rumors that have been coming out this week. First of all, this has pretty much been confirmed at this point, but I'm still wondering what's going to be happening with the U.S. But Warner Brothers in the U.K. is going to be releasing 7 on 4K Blu-ray. They don't have an official date yet, but you can pre-order it already. And they're also going to have a really nice collector's edition. I think they're calling it What's in the Box edition. It looks like a box. The box that Gwyneth Paltrow's head came in in, you know, the end of 7, if you haven't seen 7 yet, but I'm assuming because they're releasing this box set, they assume that people know what's in the box. It's one of the biggest twist endings in film history, and it was shocking the first time I saw it. Now, I'm just on the fence. Do I want to get that UK release or wait for the inevitable US release? Maybe they're just waiting to announce the US release. It's weird because it's Warner Brothers UK doing the release, so I assume Warner Brothers in the US will be doing the release as well. Maybe they license that out to a different studio, and that's why they haven't announced the U.S. release. I'm not 100% sure, but I assume that the scan that will be in this U.K. release will be in the U.S. release, so I'm on the fence if I should get this U.K. release. I don't really love the box art on the standard edition, but I do like that collector's edition, and I'm a huge fan of Seven. It is my favorite David Fincher movie. This is a movie I've been dying to come to 4K, so if I don't get confirmation that this is going to be coming to the U.S. in sometime in 2024, I'm going to have to grab it just because I want to see what Seven looks like on 4K Blu-ray, and I have to find out what's in that box. And then another rumor that's pretty much confirmed as well is Contagion is coming to 4K Blu-ray sometime. I think it's in March of 2024, and I think Contagion is one of Steven Sodenberg's best movies. 
I didn't actually watch this for the first time until COVID because people were saying, wow, they really got COVID right with this one. And then I watched the movie and I was like, holy shit. It was like real life reflecting back at me watching that movie. And it came out in 2011. It just had such a real gruesome feeling to it. Lawrence Fishburne, Kate Winslet, Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, all doing great performances in that movie. And watching it during COVID, that movie just was so scary. It felt so real. And the 4K, the steelbook of it, looks really, really, really nice. So I'm looking forward to that one coming to 4K Blu-ray. It's not my favorite Soderbergh film. That's still always going to be probably Ocean's Eleven. But it's a really damn good one. It's probably my second favorite of his work. Steven Soderbergh, one of the best working directors. He's retired and come back just as much times as Brett Favre and Michael Jordan combined. But who cares? As long as he keeps bringing us great movies. And every time he puts out a film, you at least got to check it out. And you'll always get something out of it. And this guy's been working since the 1980s. And to say that Contagion is his second favorite film of mine really should show you how good of a body of work this man has had. And then another one that's pretty much good because Guillermo del Toro put it out himself, but he's working on a brand new 4K scan of his first film, 1992's Kronos. And I really love Kronos. Not my favorite del Toro movie, but it's the one that put him on the map. It's the one that, you know, made him famous, essentially. This is one of his Spanish-speaking language horror films. This is 10 years before Pan's Labyrinth, five years before his first U.S. release of Mimic, which is also apparently going to get a 4K release in 2024. Guillermo del Toro, a lot like Christopher Nolan and James Cameron, have been talking about the importance of physical media, so we know that they stand behind us. So you know Guillermo del Toro, and I still want to get Pinocchio in 4K from the Criterion Collection. Just haven't had the money to get it yet. That was one of my favorite movies of 2022. It made my top 10 list, and I really, really want to get that on 4K because I just want to support not just the Criterion Collection, but Guillermo del Toro because he supports us. He supports physical media. But he thinks it's the best way to preserve film. And obviously, we all agree with that as well. And you want to support somebody who also supports us. And Kronos is one that I can't wait to check out on 4K. I want to check out Mimic on 4K. I have pretty much everything else he's put out on 4K as well up to this point. Except for 2021's Nightmare Alley starring Bradley Cooper. I thought that movie was phenomenal when I saw it in theaters and had great cinematography. It has a 4K release. But for some reason, I haven't grabbed it yet. So that's one of the only 4K releases from Guillermo del Toro and Pinocchio that I haven't grabbed yet. But it's really awesome that we get most of his films on 4k blu-ray like pan's labyrinth and the devil's backbone pacific rim we have both hellboy movies not talking about the third one that wasn't directed him on 4k even though the third one is on 4k as well so we just have most of his movies floating around out there and we're getting chronos and mimic in 2024 we're definitely going to be getting spoiled with that and now one that's really strictly a rumor i couldn't find a source on this one i saw it from the disc father i don't know where his source was but he was saying that the crow is coming to 4k blu-ray in 2024 and if you've ever followed along in the comments section here on the channel, me and Lord Raiden go back and forth about every single week, or every other week I'll comment, been waiting for the announcement of The Crow coming to 4K Blu-ray. Well, it's not a confirmation yet, but apparently they are working on the scan. It would make sense. It came out in 1994, 30 years ago, to celebrate its 30th anniversary in 2024. You would think that would be the year it would be coming to 4K Blu-ray, and I think it's going to happen. So I'm not too sure when it will come out. I hope that they release it sometime around October. The movie takes place on October 30th, the day before Halloween. So it would make the most sense in the world to come out that month. I hope it does. You know, it always feels weird when a movie comes out, like, out of season i know not everyone cares but i always associate movies with certain seasons and i associate the crow with halloween season the late fall it just has that feeling to it while you know other movies like point break it came out in december but i always associate
associate that film with the summer. I mean, they're trying to fund their never-ending summer, so it makes sense for that movie to come out in the summer, but it came out in December this year. I know not everyone cares about when the season of a movie comes out as long as it comes out. Totally understand that, but didn't you guys find it weird that I think Halloween Resurrection or H2O came out in August? It's a Halloween movie. I just never understood how you could do that. Haunted Mansion came out in July. That easily should have come out in October. Just certain scheduling things just don't really make sense, but I also don't control the calendar. I don't I don't work for any of these businesses. I don't know what decisions go into that. I'm sure they have to set up their schedule for the entire year ahead of time, so, you know, maybe that's why, but I always just find that weird, so hopefully The Crow, if it really is coming out, comes out sometime in October, but I will not complain as long as it comes to 4K Blu-ray. That's what I'm really looking forward to. And then the last bit of news this week is that we finally got confirmation, or at least on Best Buy's website, they're not taking pre-orders for anything after January, so it looks like January 2000 2024 will be the end of Best Buy selling physical media. I'm sure after January, whatever's on their shelves, they'll just be selling it off until it finally it ends up on an end cap and then it'll end up in a bin until it's all finally gone and out of their system and we'll have to buy our movies from somewhere else. Now, what's making me really nervous is what we talked about last week, the Conan Chronicles on 4K Blu-ray. I bought them from Best Buy. My pre-order hasn't been canceled yet, but Amazon, when I was searching for it yesterday, I wanted to see if it was still up on that price on Amazon. I couldn't even find it. I searched for it on Google. I searched for it in Amazon's app. I searched for it just through Amazon's website through Safari. Could not find this anywhere. It might be updated now, maybe back to its original price, maybe back to that $42.99 price. I'm not too sure, but on Best Buy, my pre-order is still there. Haven't taken the money from me yet. I'm a little bit nervous. I hope that they don't cancel that it is coming out at the very end of january so hopefully it just you know slips through the cracks then and that'll probably be the last thing i ever get from best buy physically which will signify the end of an era a long relationship for us physical media collectors and best buy you know, it'll be a sad day, that's for sure. And I think here on the channel, we should probably hold a funeral for Best Buy because not only will this be the end of their physical media, but because of their lack of support of physical media, I can't really justify buying anything from them. I understand it's a business decision, but I have also felt like Best Buy over the last like three or four years has just gone downhill as a business. They have some of the most atrocious customer service I have ever experienced in my life. They never, ever have tried to help out a customer. Even when they make the mistakes and it's blatantly obvious, they for some reason will never take responsibility for it. Their customer service only gives you information that you can find on their website. They're never giving you anything that could be helpful. When they screw up, they never try and offer you a gift card or anything. I remember one time I pre-ordered something they completely lost. They couldn't find it, never shipped it. And I said, well, are you guys going to compensate me? And they're like, well, maybe, you know, we can talk to a manager and get you a $20 gift card. I'm like, you guys lost this. I pre-ordered this four months ago, and it was just very frustrating. And that just seems to be their attitude. And their attitude is that of a failing business. As somebody who works for a business that seems to be on the decline, I can tell you this is something that really happens. The first thing that they lose is their manners and their treatment of people and their workers. So not too surprised. So maybe here on the channel, we will host a funeral for Best Buy, signifying the end of physical media being sold there. So that's going to do it for this week's news portion of the show. We'll kick it over to the Faith in Me for the this or that portion of the show where we're actually just going to talk stand-up comedy this week. And then we'll get into the Q&A portion of the show where I'll answer some questions and then we'll get on out of here so let's kick it over there hey guys found faith and apparently we're not going to be doing this or that it's going to be a different section of the show this week faith what's it called 
we're just gonna say let's talk comedy yeah faith wants to talk a little bit about stand-up comedy she's been in a stand-up kick lately and you know i'm a I'm big stand-up fan been in a stand-up yeah that, like we've said before me and faith like we really bond over comedy and stand-up comedy is one of our favorites and we watched a great stand-up comedy this year uh john mulaney's stand-up baby john baby john baby J. <laughs> baby J. Baby J. <laughs> my favorite of this year yeah oh by far absolutely my favorite of the year he his deliverance is just so funny yeah. he he's just his open and honesty on everything oh my great. god he was not afraid to make fun of himself no which self-deprecating humor which is what i is, love to do we love therapy. that shit yeah we love it because it's like we all are human beings that go through shit yeah and we it's all time floored that floored. we acknowledge it and stop this pc bullshit that that come you know that's going on a little bit you know we are all human beings and we all make mistakes i'm not telling anybody to go out and kill people or do no. anything bad like that but we all make mistakes we, we should human. be given second chances we, on we, certain things grace. we yeah. should be given grace yeah. in certain things you know? uh, leave the door open for forgiveness and we live in a world now where it's like oh what'd you do <laughs> you didn't tip the waiter yeah yes. well good you're done <laughs> <laughs> good luck ever working again <laughs> Yes, that's a douchebag thing to do, but it's like you just call a person an asshole, shame them, and then yeah, shame, shame them, <laughs> and then you move on. You know, explain why it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think like, a lot of things nowadays need a little bit more explaining because people just don't get it. Speaking of stand-ups, and that brings me to Bill Burr because he talks about that all the time in his stuff. It's like, and he had one I think last or two years ago where he's like, "Yeah, I think you got them all." Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's what we're gonna talk about. So we're gonna talk about five top five stand-up comedies of all time. Comedians. Comedians. Stand-up comedians. All right, because I'm just um, gonna have a hard time pulling the names of all the stand-ups. And we can talk about why they mean so much, just into in comedy, because a lot of people, are not number one in my list, but number one to me that comes to mind is Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, I've always felt like, and he is in my top five, I've always felt like Kevin Hart is a way better stand-up than he is an actor. Now, he's done some good acting performances. Um, that movie he did when he played a dad, I think that came out last year. Oh, yeah. was very good. And then, then he had point. another one, too, with Wesley Snipes, which was, it's a show. That show, yes. was really uh, well done. Yep, he is. And I think he wants to be taken more seriously. He as does, an actor, but, but he is a great stand up comedian. Mm -hmm. Speaking of self deprecating humor, he is hysterical in a lot of his stand ups. Always making fun of himself. Always. Never afraid to hold back on that. He always. is always, always great. I love him as a stand-up comedian. I, you know, I understand that he wants to be an actor, but I, I always find... I love him as a person. Oh, as a person, he's great. You know? You know, obviously, he made a mistake years ago, and then the Academy, like, uh, like wanted to punish him for it, even though he apologized numerous times. I, that, that still bothers me, because kind of ruined how we are with our hosts of the Academy Awards now. And yeah. that was, like, the big... That was the struggle that yeah, brought the and, back. Yeah, and... Not for nothing. They allow certain people into these, you know, Academy Awards oh, some other that don't get deserve much more to even yeah. be given a space in this in this industry. So um, that really bothered me. But they pick and choose people. It's again, like I said, this PC culture that we have and i'm not saying that i'm not because i think i hear certain things I'm like oh that was a little wrong like we all came to the agreement that r kelly needed <laughs> like that was one that was I like think everybody <laughs> is like yeah lock him all up. right we got one that <laughs> should have been gotten a long time ago <laughs> we lock him up 
But you know, so that's one thing. But and Harvey Weinstein, that was yeah, another big one. Again, yeah. but you allow this man to create so much well, that pieces was, of work. Well, that's when somebody gets so much power that like they almost don't have to follow the rules. Yes. They don't believe that they have to. They can just do what they want. And he got away with it for a long yeah. time. But you know, we're talking comedy. And I think we both have the same favorite stand-up comedy uh, comedian of all time, Dave Chappelle. Yes. Which is also... That's another, okay, so well, I wasn't then talking about Kevin Hart. But so to me, Kevin Hart... When he came out, it was basically stand-up that he was doing. And then he did Soul Plane, which kind of catapulted him. Mm, I feel like he did Soul Plane, and that did not catapult him. I, feel I, like he had, I think he had a few... No, because I think that was, what, 04, 05? He didn't become a big stand-up comedian where people knew him until, like, 2010, not 11. Not stand-up, but people knew his name. They knew his name, but he wasn't, like, the star until, like, 10, 11, I feel like. Um, but, yeah, and one thing about him that I was watching the Chris Rock documentary with him, and one thing that really touched me was the fact that... So they went to Manhattan, they did Madison Square Garden, they did the Barclays, they did another um, uh, arena, I forgot which one, and Chris Rock's mom was there. Gotcha. And Kevin Hart's mom died before he made it. Like, right as he was making it, she passed away. And she didn't tell him that she was sick or uh, how bad it was because she didn't want this to be something that stopped him from uh, making his dream. So it was really touching to hear him talk about his mom and he did this all for her. Which is nice. You know, and it, it, he was sad to see that she couldn't see it. But, you know, I, I love that about him. But, okay, so... Let's talk about our boy. A boy, the best to go. I think no one ever can do it better than him. No, he's he actually is. He gave me my favorite stand up of all time, which is Killing Me Softly. Oh, Love that stand up, and incredible. that was and that was before Chappelle's show. So even if he take away the stand up, he's also one of the best skit comedy yeah. acts of all time. I said it. One Chappelle, of the funniest people ever. Ever. Chappelle's show is the greatest skit comedy show ever, and That's... Saturday Night Live has been on since the seventies. And Chappelle's show had two and a half seasons because the lost episodes they're not hosted by him, but he gave us two exceptional seasons of TV yeah. that I still go back to to this very day. Quote it all the time. You probably heard me say, a shark ate me in a lot of videos. <laughs> That's from the Samuel Samuel Jackson skit from Chappelle show. So I, I've always loved Dave Chappelle. I mean, he's one of those people that... I saw this as a rookie. Yeah. Sprinkle a little crack. crack on him. <laughs> this man came in here and hung up pictures of his entire family. <laughs> that I, I love it. I just, he's, he has to be the GOAT. I think... Anything he touches is just funny. He's uh -huh. just a funny human being because, again, he's not the, afraid to tell the world what it is. No. He's going to tell you his opinion, and he doesn't care what you think. No, I know. And I, and I respect him for it. Like, I, there's stuff that he says that I disagree with, but it doesn't matter all the time because I think he's hysterical. And I think he's just trying to, like, the thing with comedy is I think comedians need to be given a little bit more grace because... At the end of the day, they're not trotting. Some are, but not all of them are trying to offend people. They're trying to make people laugh, and they might float a line that might be a little too close to the sun. Yeah. And then you, like, kind of cross, and you're like, ah, and then you're like, but I think you should give them a little bit of, like, just a little bit of extra grace to the point where you're like, okay, you know, maybe you it's went too joke. far. It's a joke. It was a joke. You went too far. Pull it back a little bit. And I think they should be given that because they're trying to make people laugh. But I don't think that they should have to. If it's a joke... And it's comedy. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, yeah. you shouldn't have to pull it back. And that's the thing. Mike, Matt Riff, Rife. A rifle? Or Rife, or... Riff or something like that. He He's in the news, in the spotlight right now for a, a domestic violence joke mm -hmm. that he made. And just like Bill Burr said, 
Yeah, Bill Burr made a great he, domestic violence Like, joke. he said, no, he said the waitress made the, the joke, and he says, that's a great fucking joke. Yeah. You know? Like, so, it, it might have not been that funny, so maybe that's why people took it that way. Well, of course, if Burr, the joke isn't funny, yeah, it's going to look a little bit worse. That's what it is, I think, sometimes. <laughs> when things come kind of go over the edge, it's just because you're not funny. Yeah. Or it just Well, I don't funny. think that guy is funny. I no, mean, people love him. No, he's good with um, a crowd work. He's very but good with crowd work. I also he's... heard that he's got plants in the crowd, which I figured because, you know, why wouldn't there be plants? How yeah. do you? So, which makes all the sense in the world that it's like wrestling events. They have plants for everything that they do. Yeah. Just, that's just how it is. So that's show business, baby. So that's just the way it goes. But yeah. And then another comedian, I don't know if you like him, that's one of my favorites of all time, Richard Pryor. Richard okay. Pryor is one of my favorite comedians. I will still go back and watch his stand-ups. I, I think he's great. I've always loved Richard Pryor, the stuff he he's did. He's not Richard, uh, mine, my, uh, but, you know. You know, he was in the 70s, good. so, like, I know a lot of people don't like, but he was always, again, he was never afraid to point the finger and make jokes at his own expense. Mm -hmm. This man lit himself oh, he, on fire, free breaking crack. Funny. So, you know, I, I love Richard Pryor. Yeah. And this stuff he did with Gene Wilder in the movies... Forget it. I yeah. love that. See no evil, hear no evil, yeah. stir crazy. Love those movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously he was like anti Bill Cosby at the time. And Bill Cosby. You wonder why? Yeah, Bill Cosby. Well, just because Bill Cosby's told, you know, his jokes were very clean and he didn't like yeah, the dirty jokes. Yeah, but it's funny because maybe it's like he knows things about people that other people don't know and it's kind of like uh, pot calling the kettle black a uh, little bit. You probably. Know? I mean, Bill Cosby did like, he also made, he also like at the time had like a little bit in the 80s with Eddie Murphy thought Eddie Murphy went too far. Now, me and you both don't think that Delirious and Raw no. hold up very well. No. And it's a shame because I also, like you, think that Eddie Murphy is one of the funniest people ever. Mm -hmm. from, a, me, from an acting standpoint. Not stand-up. No. But he's people more, love his stand-up. People so, do. If you like it, I love it. It's, I don't shame you, but you know. It is what, that's your forte. It's just not mine. No, okay, exactly. Um, I'm going to bring in probably one of my faves, Bill Burr. Bill Burr is in my number two all time. He's risen out that because every stand-up that he's done that's been a special, I have enjoyed. And I also listen to his podcast, and I feel like he's a very real, honest, and open funny. person. And he's just very funny. Just he funny. tells jokes like exactly how my sense of humor is, yeah. I feel like. So that's just kind of how I'm. Because I'm always, like, when I'm with my friends or I'm, like, at work or something like that, you know, we're just always ripping on each other. And, like, you know, none of us have... You got that right. Yeah. He rips on me all the time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's in good fun. And that's always the thing. And I always feel like that's kind of what Bill Burr's comedy is. He's just pointing at it. Again, another guy willing to point out all of his flaws to you, which I I always appreciate mm -hmm. so like you know he's not willing he's always whenever somebody's willing to turn the camera back at themselves i'll always appreciate that all right and then my man bernie mac bernie mac yes faith tell him what your favorite stand-up comedy of all time <laughs> is and i well, agree okay the kings of comedy yes one of so, the best i loved them all i loved i loved cedric i, I love steve harvey i, I loved them all but nobody killed it like Bernie. You know what's funny is my mother loves the Kings of Comedy, and her Bernie Mac is her favorite yeah. of all time, which is you, really funny. <laughs> no, they, it like Steve Harvey was funny with the coat. The guy, you remember that? Steve Harvey was really like, funny. He, he probably fun has the second best performance. Yeah, ever. like he was funny. Like you know when the guy left his coat and he came back, yeah. and it was like all like like fancy, and he's like, oh, hardware in here, and he like all the jewelry in there. Like, that was funny. But Bernie Mac came out there, and he was like, my, my sister on drugs. Oh, that's I, I, ain't afraid to, I ain't afraid to say it. My sister on drugs. Everybody family member is fucked up. <laughs> like, I love, I love his raw, 
just emotion telling the stories about his niece and nephew. The milk and cookies. Oh my god. I just, it's hilarious. And then when he talks about his aunt and his kid and he goes, he was one of the goats. Oh, we lost him so young. Way too early. And he was funny in movies. Like we just watched Bad Santa (laughs) and like how he's like eating the orange the whole time and he's just like talking. So he likes to fuck big women. What can I say? And he's just eating the orange. I love it. <laughs> I love, what was the other guy? Um, he passed away. John Ritter? Yeah. John Ritter's like, another one. He said she won't S-H-I-T for a week. Yeah. <laughs> That's an, and they both died like right after that movie. Oh, I think the man. movie's dedicated to both. Oh, no. Uh, Bernie Mac died in 08, and uh, he died in 03, John Ritter. John Ritter died right after that movie. But they were both great comedians of their time, and... I mean, you know, it's a little sad note, but that's just, unfortunately, people have passed away. Richard Pryor's gone, too, and he had a sad end to his life. But, you know, we've had their their comedy rings on. That's all that really matters. Yeah. So, do you have anybody else that comes to your mind? What did I say? I said my favorites were Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, uh, Richard Pryor. That's my top three of all time. I'm trying to think who else I would probably put on that list as far as... Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart would make my top five as far as stand-ups go, so those would be my top four. I don't know if I could pick a fifth. People love Chris Rock, but I think Chris Rock is actually a better actor than he is a stand-up. He's a little corny to me. Yeah, I've never loved his stand-up, but people always talk about his stand-up, and I always felt like he was more... Like, I just feel like his energy was what he was banking on. He's a GOAT because he reaches all audiences. He does. Um, There's certain comedians, like Bernie Mac, he didn't reach all audiences. Bernie Mac would be my top five. You know, like, he didn't reach all audiences. That's my fifth guy. But he was almost there. That's in my opinion that he didn't, because there's a lot of people that have never seen that Mm stand-up. There's a lot of people who have never seen that stand-up, but if you show them... Uh, Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart, they've probably watched it. Well, everyone knows Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart. They've crossed over you know. to so many different things. Bernie Mac, like, he kind of did. Like, he had his moments in the uh, 2000s, like, where he, you know, he had the Bernie Mac show that was very popular. And, you know, he, had, he was in movies popping up all the time. In the 90s, you know, maybe people like But those said, were the big five, like, the big three. No, it was four of them. Those were the big four um, that were on the Kings of Comedy. Yes. There was because... Four. Um, uh, Cedric the Entertainer was on the Steve Harvey show. Um, Bernie Mac had his own show. Uh, D.L. Hughley had his own show. D.L. Hughley, I always remember... Yeah, he did, but I always remember him most from actually playing a stand-up on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Because he plays Will's friend, and then Will overshadows him. Yeah. Steals it. I don't don't really find him that funny, but... Me neither. But he's got his moments. Yeah. I mean, it's... You get some laugh out loud. So I always think of him as... Uh, like, he's Turk's brother in an episode of Scrubs. Yeah. Too. Like, you know, that, I don't ever think of his stand-up, but I do think of, like, some performances that he's done. And he's always pretty good. Brings a certain energy to it. I like Cedric the Entertainer. I think he was... I think he's funny. Cedric the Entertainer, I told you this before, I'll tell you again, but the first time I ever saw him because of my age was in Barbershop. So yeah. I thought he was old. <laughs> you, I remember you told me that. You thought it was just this old man. I know it was this old man. And then when I saw him, I think it was the next year later, um, what's the movie with Bow Wow and Vanessa Williams? Uh, Family Johnson vac- Family Vacation. vacation yeah. And then I was like, that's the same guy from Barbershop? He lost 30 years since the Barbershop. <laughs> then I went back and watched all his other stuff, watched his stand-up, and I was like, well, he was I get it. Like, they dressed him like he got out of the Civil Rights era. Like, I mean, that's, that's like, what I mean. Because the voice he's doing, too, is like very like low. Like, <laughs> you know, very low and like almost I, mumbling. I always found him funny, but stand up, eh. Um, and then there's one more 
I, I really don't talk about him much. Sebastian Maniscalco? Yes, yes. Okay. Sebastian Maniscalco? Yeah. Yeah, Sebastian Maniscalco, my family loves him because I come from, I'm half Italian. Well, one of them looks like, he looks like He uncle. looks like my Uncle John. Yeah, he, yeah, it looks and sounds like my Uncle John. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Sebastian Maniscalco. He's I, funny. He is. I've listened to a lot of his stand-ups, and he is hysterical. Yes, that's a good call as well. The only thing with Sebastian Maniscalco is that I felt like his last stand-up kind of let me down a little bit. Lost mm -hmm. a little bit of his edge because it was concentrated more on his family, yeah. which is understandable. Believe me, I'd rather him be happy and have a, you know, but I mean, I think his comedy lost a little bit there. And then I saw him act this year and he was pretty damn bad. Thank God for Robert De Niro being able to carry that movie because <laughs> I did not buy him. But as I like at him. All. I, I like his stand ups. I think he's funny because stand up to me is something that takes oh, a lot my of God. work. That's why you've always said that, like, oh, you should do stand up. I'm like, you have to commit your life. To well, you would have to literally go every night. Mm -hmm. to perform that has and, to be your thing. okay this joke worked this joke this joke didn't work mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna add this on because i, I didn't feel like have a lot this of plan, people but it worked mm -hmm. so i'm gonna add this on mm -hmm. i feel like people think that like these stand-ups go on stage and like that's it they just it is funny no it's they literally are going around the country before they ever do a special like perfecting this stand-up but you mm -hmm. can go and they'll tell you like y'all you don't turn your phone on because they're trying to work on their act yes it's an act it's a job just like a movie like that's what they're doing this is their act yeah. they come up with things and, like this works this doesn't work and then that's where they go from there but that was a good conversation. Yeah. Mm, so that was awesome. And now we'll move on to the Q&A portion, which is just me this week. No faith on that part. And this question from Kevin Kruger is the top three actors that don't have a 4K Blu-ray. Now, Kevin sent this to me last week. I had no idea how to answer this. Every actor I would look up would have at least have one movie on 4K Blu-ray. I mean, Jim Carrey had The Grinch, and then he had The Truman Show come out this year, so I had to take him off the list. There were just so many actors that had one movie released on 4K Blu-ray. I couldn't think of three actors who haven't had a movie released on 4K at least like a big enough actor. So the three actors I could come up with that I could not find a 4K Blu-ray for were Michael Bean. Now you might be surprised at that because technically he does appear on the Terminator 2 4K Blu-ray in the deleted scenes if you look those up. So technically I guess he has a scene on 4K Blu-ray but the Terminator's not on 4K. The Abyss will be on 4K Blu-ray in March. Aliens will be on 4K Blu-ray in March, and those are really his biggest movies, so he's never appeared on any other 4K Blu-ray. The Mandalorian Season 2, I guess, technically, but that's a TV show, so he's one of the actors. Uh, Jimmy Smits, many people probably remember him from Sons of Anarchy, but for me, Running Scared is a great 1980s movie that he appeared in, and that doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray. And, you know, he was popping all around in the 1980s and 1990s. I think he had a pretty big part on the show, NYPD Blue, but every time he pops up, he always is great. I always enjoy his work, but because he's been floating around so long, it's pretty surprising that he doesn't have a movie that is on 4K Blu-ray. Then the last actor, and this one really did surprise me, is Dennis Quaid. Because Dennis Quaid has been appearing in movies since the 1980s, and it's surprising that he doesn't have a movie on 4K Blu-ray, or at least one that I couldn't find. If you guys can, let me know in the comments. But movies like Frequency, which is my favorite movie from him. The Rookie, that was a pretty big deal back in the 2000s as far as Disney sports movies go. And he also appeared in a movie that really should be on 4K Blu-ray. I'm talking to Criterion with this one because it definitely has that Criterion feel to it. Far From Heaven. That movie is some of the best cinematography I've ever seen in film history. I just rewatched this movie not too long ago. That movie deserves a 4K Blu-ray. But those are the three actors that 
I really think don't have any movies on 4K Blu-ray. Now, feel free to correct me if I made any mistakes. Even actors like Daniel Day-Lewis, who have been around forever, he only has one movie on 4K Blu-ray, and that was his last movie, Phantom Thread, because Paul Thomas Anderson, he didn't release There Will Be Blood on 4K. We had that rumor this year. But other than that, you know, Lincoln doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray release, which is very surprising. For some reason, people seem to have forgotten about Michael Mann's The Last of the Mohegans. I don't know if people remember, but in the 90s, The Last of the Mohegans and Braveheart were huge. I mean, they were talking about that all the way through the early 2000s, and then those movies, people just stopped talking about it. They never come up anymore. The Last of the Mohicans was one of those movies I heard so many times growing up, and now I can't even find a person to talk about that movie. It was a fantastic film, so I'm very surprised at that, and I would think that eventually that movie would get a 4K Blu-ray release, especially, you know, Michael Mann movies. A lot of them have come to 4K, and we're getting Ferrari this year. I feel like that wrote itself up. Maybe one day we'll get that one. My Left Foot, that's another one that hasn't come to 4K Blu-ray. Don't love that movie, but it is still a phenomenal performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. So that's another actor that has one movie on 4K Blu-ray. So I think that answered that question. It was really, really tough. That was one I sat there just going through lists for so long trying to figure out who doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray. And you'd be surprised. I guess we have gotten a lot of movies on 4K Blu-ray at this point. And the next question is from M-G-E-H-A-N Megahani90. I don't know if I'm saying your name right, but he asked, Have you seen The Iron Claw yet? Uh, I haven't. Here in Long I- here on Long Island, New York, for some reason, it's not playing anywhere. I think it's playing in the city this week. I'm hoping I can see it before I make my year end list because this is one of those movies from A24 that I have been looking forward to. There's a couple movies I want to see before I make my year end list. That's one of them. I also want to see Poor Things. I think that's a movie that I think would make my top 10 list. So I have to see that movie before the year's end. All of Us Strangers, I don't know if I'm going to get to see that. I don't think that's going to be playing in theaters before d- December 31st. So, you know, that stuff, might I, I might have to just do individual reviews views here on the channel next year but hopefully i could see the iron claw if for people who don't know what the iron claw is this is the movie that's talking about the von erics family a wrestling family from the 1980s i don't want to spoil what happened i don't want to spoil what happened because i know not everybody's a wrestling fan and have probably never heard about the tragedy of the von erics but it is one of the saddest most tragic stories that you'll ever hear and as a wrestling fan this is one of those stories that you know, you always hear about it, but to see it on the big screen now and starring Diz- and starring Zac Efron, and I heard everybody did a great job. I heard this movie's fantastic. I cannot wait to see it, but unfortunately, haven't seen it yet. And this does tie into our next question from Kevin Kruger, which is, what are my top favorite wrestlers of all time? So I love talking to wrestling. I watch wrestling still to this very day. I watch old wrestling. I watch new wrestling. I don't really watch AEW too much. Not enough time on the schedule, but I still keep up with Raw and SmackDown and those premium live events. I'm watching wrestling from 96 and 97 now with Matt, if you guys remember him and a couple of our buddies. So, you know, just kind of getting those nostalgic feelings. So for me growing up, I was an Attitude Era fan. So all of my favorite wrestlers come from the Attitude Era, and that includes my favorite of all time, The Undertaker! And really, when I fell in love with the guy, he was still in the Ministry of Darkness, and then eventually came back as the American Badass until 2004 when he returned to WrestleMania 20 to fight his brother Kane, and we got the return of the dead man. So he was always my favorite. And then at number two is the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. And what's funny about Shawn Michaels is he pretty much retired right before I started watching wrestling in 1998. So I never really saw him other than in small roles until eventually came back in 2002 with the NWO 
and then he came back and had the match at SummerSlam in 2002 at the Nassau Coliseum here on Long Island against Triple H, and then he just made that big return, and I became a huge fan of that return, Then I went back and looked at everything he did before that, and he's just the best in-ring performer that I've ever seen. There's always those stories, Shawn Michaels could have a good match with a mop. I believe that statement very much. And then at number three, I got Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, he was the baddest guy back in the late 90s, early 2000s, fighting his boss, Mr. McMahon. That rivalry saved wrestling, saved the World Wrestling Federation. That really crossed over into the mainstream. Everybody loves Stone Cold Steve Austin, and of course, I did as well. At number four, you got The Rock. Again, another guy who crossed over into the mainstream, became a bigger actor than he was a wrestler. But, but for me, before he was Dwayne Johnson, he was The Rock. And I loved watching the People's Champ. Check people into the SmackDown Hotel, turn that bitch sideways and stick it straight up. You candy ass! So I loved seeing The Rock. He was one of my favorites as well. And then at number five, it was tough. I could only pick five, but... I also was a big fan of Triple H, and when I was growing up, people hated Triple H in the early 2000s. He played a great heel, but people always said he rose to the top because of who he married. I mean, I'm not 100% sure on that, but if you look at what he went through in the late 90s, you know, with the curtain call, he was the only guy who got punished, and he had to eat shit for about a year, and he rode through that. No problem, no complaints. He rose to the top. It took a pretty damn long time. And then even so, he lost to people at WrestleMania. He should have lost to Booker T at WrestleMania 19. Didn't happen. That's unfortunate. But overall, Triple H has always been one of the most entertaining guys that I've ever watched. You know, D-Generation X. You know, when he, even after Shawn Michaels left and we got the DX Army. I mean, with the Road Dog, Jesse James, Badass Billy Gunn, and X-Pac China. Love them. And Triple H was on top of the world at that point. That's my favorite era of Triple H from like 98 to 01. I really loved his return at the Madison Square Garden in 2002. But... You know, after that, you know, I really hated him. I was, like, always rooting against him, but that's a sign of a good heel. Eventually, in 2006, he rejoins the Generation X. They do another reunion tour in 2010, and then eventually he's just doing one-off, you know, retirement matches pretty much at that point. You know, he's at the tail end of his career. Now, he's the head of creative, saving WWE, in my opinion. He's doing a fantastic job, so Triple H is my number five. And the next Kevin Kruger question is, what are the top five most violent movies that I have ever seen? And number one is definitely RoboCop. I mean, just watching Murphy get his body blown the bits in that movie is ridiculous. They actually had to cut it until eventually we get the unrated cut. But there are so many gross and gruesome moments in that movie when the guy gets covered in acid and his skin is falling off. I mean, that movie is brutal, but because there's just so many different elements to it, you might not think of the brutality of that movie first, but my God, people are dying in some gruesome ways. I mean, a guy gets shot in the dick in, in RoboCop, so that's why that movie is probably one of the most violent movies that I have ever seen. Also, the guy gets blown away in the boardroom, so that's probably my number one. And then number two, I just saw this this week, and there's a review on the channel, that's Bone Tomahawk. I'm uh, not going to spoil what happens in the third act of that movie, but there were things that I have never seen on film before that I saw at the end of this movie that I was like, how do you even think about that? It really tells you something about the director because he went for it at the end of this movie, and the whole thing leading up to it wasn't that gruesome, wasn't that brutal, wasn't that violent, but the third act of this movie, he's like, all right, I got to correct myself here. I got to make this as fucking violent as possible. Now, do war films count in this? Because if they do, I have to say that the beginning of... Saving Private Ryan is one of the most gruesome things you'll ever see on screen. Watching people row to their deaths and just watching people get their heads blown off, arms blown off right next to you. And that really happened. Can you imagine the fear of these people essentially going to their death? 
I can never in a million years imagine that. And I just feel like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan just captured that perfect. I mean, people have talked about it time and time and time again, um, just kind of piggybacking on what they've all said. But it really is one of the best openings in film history and the brutality of it. I mean, it makes you sick to your stomach watching the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. And the rest of the film had to live up to that great opening scene. I think they did a damn good job as well. The whole movie is pretty violent at certain points and just very sad. So that's a different kind of violent film in comparison to like movies like Robocop, which is a satire film. And the 80s were just filled with violent action movies like that. I mean, you could look at Predator. Predator is another really, really, really violent film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. The stuff the, vi the stuff the Predator does, he skins people and hangs their skin. And, you know, we're watching people get blown away with submachine guns. And then at number five, I would have to pick one Quentin Tarantino movie. I had it down to Inglourious Bastards or Django Unchained. I think I'm going to go Django Unchained because the third act of that movie, I mean, bodies are flying everywhere. Yes, it's over the top. You get those really creative, over-the-top blood effects that he would do in The Hateful Eight where it's just so over-exaggerated. Unbelievable that it's not offensive, but man, bodies are just getting destroyed at the end of this movie. The amount of people that die at the very end of Django Unchained, it's insane. And really, that's one thing that people always complain about with Quentin Tarantino's movie. Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors of all time. He is actually my favorite director of all time, so I really don't get bothered by violence in films. Never been something I don't get bothered by gore or anything like that. Like I said, the things that bother me most might be a little weird to other people, like bugs. Anytime there's bugs in film, that's when I cringe and it gets under my skin. Or seeing people like get surgery for some reason, I don't know why, but like a needle going into somebody's arm is much more gross to me than somebody getting their head blown off. I don't know why, just something that's kind of messed up in my wiring, but that's why I don't get bothered by movies like any Tarantino film they all are filled with gruesome violence but if i had to pick one that really went for it i'm gonna have to say that it's Django Unchained because that probably has the highest body count of any Tarantino film so that was another great question Kevin thank you so much buddy and this question from Kevin is who are your favorite and least favorite characters from the following movies Titanic my favorite character in Titanic is obviously Jack played by Leonardo DiCaprio he's our through line through this whole thing you know and he also is so charming I was gonna pick Kate Winslet but I don't think this is Kate Winslet's best performance she gives so many great performances later in her career including Contagion which we talked about earlier in this and mayor of east town from last year or two years ago she was phenomenal like also she's an academy award winner even though you know leo's just getting his footing under and i don't love his performance in this movie as well as like you know his other performances that he has later in his career he's still our through line and he's still my favorite character in the film and then my least favorite character even though i love how he plays it is billy zane you know obviously he's an asshole he plays a character you want to hate and in jurassic park my favorite character in that movie is Laura Dern's character. I love her in that movie. You know, she's dating Sam Neill. And I guess they married. I never could figure it out. They're either in a very long-term relationship because they're talking about having kids. So I'm not sure if they're married or not. They might have hinted at it. I, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. But regardless, you know, Sam Neill's kind of a dick. And Laura Dern, you know, she's so sweet, nice, willing to help out other people. I could have gone with Richard Attenborough's character of John Hammond. But, you know, he's still a rich guy that unfortunately even if he had the best of intentions people did die because of mistakes he made and because of like his carelessness but he shouldn't have spared any expenses on safety and if he did to me it looks like he did that's in my opinion so he's not my least favorite character my least favorite character is the guy what's his name i don't know what's wayne knight's character in this movie you know that's the only guy who's the head of all the things that run this park and he's an asshole he's gonna go sell this stuff off to another guy running another company like what a piece of shit i'm sure that richard attenborough is not paying him right he does complain about how he's being paid and all the work he has to do but still he's a dick and he got what he had coming to him and then we got Point Break. My favorite character in that movie is 100% Patrick Swayze's Bodhi. Love the guy. Love his philosophy. 
He gets a little bit, he loses his edge a little bit towards the end and, you know, loses his coolness. But, man, he is cool. And I always love that hair and that 5 o'clock shadow beard. Patrick Swayze never looked better than he does in this movie. And then, obviously, John C. McKinley is the worst character in this movie. He plays it again. Great. I love John C. McKinley in this movie. But he's a douchebag. And, obviously, he's the one that's trying to foil everything that's going on between Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves' characters. Mainly just because he's an asshole. And John C. McKinley plays an asshole perfectly. Fast and Furious, my favorite character in the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, this is tough, but I'm going to have to go with Tyrese Gibson. I think he holds it together. I just think he's so funny. He never seems to be taking him as seriously as my least favorite character in the franchise, which might surprise a lot of people, and that's Vin Diesel. He, he's great in the first few movies, but then he just becomes a character of himself. Talking about family, I, I what was it, F7? I can't remember. I just watched them all earlier in the year, but... When he comes back to life because of family, I was just like, oh my god, are you kidding? Now, I get it. These are cheesy action movies. I've accepted what they are. I still enjoy them for what they are. I love watching them. I, you know, they're not my favorite franchise ever, but, you know, I have a great time with them. But, man, Vin Diesel. And, you know, you hear those stories about how he takes it too seriously. And I don't know if they're true or not, but, like, how he was a little upset with how Jason Momoa stole the show with Fast X. And Jason Momoa knew what kind of movie he was in. He was fantastic. The, the best part... By far, in in Fast X, was Jason Momoa. And then in Casino, my favorite character in that movie, I mean, it's got to be Ace Rothstein, played by Robert De Niro. Now, no character in this movie is squeaky clean. Everyone's operating in the gray area. Some people like Joe Pesci's character. I don't think he ever means well for anyone but himself. I guess he cares about his son, but he definitely doesn't care about his wife. He definitely doesn't care about his friends. He cares about himself, but I think he might care about his son. So he's obviously the worst character in Casino. Because he's pretty much dragging down Ace, who, yes, he's not a great husband. He's also selfish. He's really only worried about himself. But, you know, Ace does at least care about certain other people. And it feels like he does care. He's trying to do the right thing. He's just, you know, the way he grew up, I feel like, is why he is the way he is. And why he's just so attention to every little detail. Why he's just so stuck up and stubborn. Meanwhile, Joe Pesci's character is a loose cannon. And just doesn't give a shit about anybody else. The Irishman, same thing. I mean, the best character in that movie is Robert De Niro's character. And my least favorite character in that movie, it's that. That's a little bit tougher. I guess I'll have to go with I don't know, maybe Jesse Plemons' character who plays his son. That you know, he's a very weak man. He doesn't really feel. I'm not too sure who my least favorite character in The Irishman is. You know, maybe Ray Romano playing his lawyer. You know, he's a little bit of a doofus. It seems like I'm not too sure. I don't really have a least favorite character in The Irishman. The Godfather. Oh my God, this one's tough. I mean, you could go both ways and say that your favorite character and least favorite are both Michael because he starts out as this good, caring guy, and then as we get into The Godfather Part Two, he ends up becoming just this monster. But if we're just talking about the original Godfather, my favorite character in that movie is Don Corleone, Vito. I love Don Vito in that movie. Marlon Brando plays that role exceptionally deserved his Academy Award for it, even though I still feel like Al Pacino deserved it a little bit more. It's really offensive to me still to this day that Al Pacino didn't get an Academy Award for one of the Godfather movies, and then we had to make it up in 1992 for Scent of a Woman, which is ridiculous because then that robbed Denzel Washington of his best career performance of Malcolm X and not getting an Academy Award there, and then we had to make up for it in Training Day, which I don't think is one of Denzel's best performances of his career, so it's just, it gets a little bit frustrating how the Academy kind of has its own form of politics and uh you know michael corleone is one of the greatest characters in history and i guess my least favorite character in the movie even though again he's played phenomenally is james Kahn. is just because he's just such a hothead and you know he's really gonna drag down the whole family and eventually just drags himself down so that's probably my least favorite 
Last but not least is Austin Powers, my favorite character. is probably everyone's favorite character. Dr. Evil, he is great in that movie. I mean, Michael Myers plays all the best characters. My least favorite character in the movie, though, is probably a lot of vagina. I mean, I know what they were going for, but the actress, she doesn't do the best of jobs. And, you know, that whole scene in general, is, it, it's funny. It's a great spoof of the scene in James Bond. I don't remember which one it was. I was just talking about it earlier in the year. Because once you watch the early James Bond movies, both the Sean Connery and the Roger Moore movies, I mean, Austin Powers gets funnier. And that's why I think Austin Powers might be the best spoof movie of all time because it spoofs those early Bond movies to perfection. Mike Myers was on top of the world at the time. So I guess my favorite character would be, obviously, Dr. Evil. I mean, Austin great as well but i feel like michael myers he nailed dr evil he nailed that down perfectly so that was another great question kevin thank you so much buddy well we're back and this is going to be the end of this week's show i want to thank our two channel producers john doe juggalo and jason martin our two channel directors kevin krueger and uh, frank rodriguez thank you both so much all four of you thank you to all of our channel members who are friends of the channel if you want to join the any of those tiers look for that in the description below we are going to be giving away Waterworld on 4k blu-ray to one of our channel members this month next month we will be giving away the lost boys on 4k so any of our channel members you are entered into those giveaways we try and do one every month we don't know if we'll always do one, but we will try and do one every single month for one of our channel members. So we put your name on the magic wheel, spin it, and whoever lands on, they get their 4K Blu-ray. Even if you don't have any money to support us that way, don't you guys worry about it. We just appreciate you watching this video, liking this video, subscribing to the channel, and then just getting out in those streets and telling your friends about us. We will be seeing you around. See you next week.